بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. We were finishing the topic of المواقيت the times of the prayer by talking about the issue of the sunnah prayers. Uh, there is a hadith, but I don't know if you guys have it. Who has, who has a copy of Bulugh al-Maram? See if you have a copy of the hadith regarding Salat al-Asr. Uh, because in my copy here, I don't, have it. I don't have it. I will check my second copy because I have two copies. On Salat al-Asr. At the end of Bab al-Mawaqeet. What's the last hadith you guys have in Bab al-Mawaqeet? Yes, so this hadith is not present in all of the copies of Bulugh al-Maram. I will see it's in my second copy. Which, what number do you have? One. I think it is in this second copy here. Yeah. Uh, no, I want to find it in here, inshallah, if I can. Because there are different copies of... Okay, here. Excellent. So this is the hadith that uh, is in some of the copies of Bulugh al-Maram and it's not in other copies of Bulugh al-Maram. وعن أم سلمة رضي الله عنها أنها قالت صلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم العصر ثم دخل بيتي فصلى ركعتين فسألت فقال شغلت عن ركعتين بعد الظهر فصليتهما الآن قلت أفنقضيهما أفنقضيهما إذا فاتتنا قال لا أخرجه أحمد ولأبي داود عن عائشة في معنى This is the hadith of Um Salama رضي الله عنها regarding the Ratiba prayers. Now the Ratiba prayers, uh, first of all we should do a little bit of explanation because it's beneficial for us anyway. That we just take a few minutes to understand the way the prayers work. So everyone knows we have five obligatory prayers. Salatul Fariwa. They are Al-Fajr, Al-Zuhr, Al-Asr, Al-Maghrib and Al-Isha. After them, we have two prayers. The Prophet ﷺ never left them, not in Al-Safar and not in Al-Hawar. Not when he was traveling and not when he was at home. Not when he was well and not when he was sick. He never left them ever under any circumstances. And they are Raka'atay Al-Fajr, the two Raka'at before Salatul Fajr and the Witr prayer. And the Witr has many ways of praying it which we will cover later on. But the two raka'ah before Fajr and the Witr prayer. The Prophet never left them when he was sick or when he was healthy. Nor did he leave them when he was traveling or when he was resident. After that, you have a number of prayers 
which the Prophet ﷺ used to pray very regularly. And he would only leave them if he was traveling. Those prayers are four raka'ah before dhuhr prayed two by two. And either two or four after dhuhr. There are two wordings, one for two after dhuhr and one for four after dhuhr. And there is another wording of two before dhuhr and two after dhuhr. Three wordings for dhuhr. The famous one is four before, two by two, followed by two after. And there is a wording for four before and four after. And there is another wording for two before and two after. And many of the scholars said all of them are authentic and you can vary between them. But the famous one, the one that we are used to doing in these days is to do four before and two after. Then two after Maghrib and two after Isha. These in total 12 if you add the Fajr prayer in there as well. It totals 12. Two before Fajr plus four that makes six plus two that makes eight plus two after Maghrib makes ten plus two after Isha makes twelve. Those twelve the Prophet used to pray them regularly. That's why they called the Rawatib because he used to pray them very regularly and he would not leave them. And the one who uh, guards them and stays firm praying them regularly then the reward of this person is is Jannah or a house in Jannah for the person who regularly observes these prayers and, and does so consistently and the Prophet would only leave them when he was traveling or when he was very sick so it's in fact when you're traveling you shouldn't pray them if you shorten the prayer and whenever you shorten the prayer you should not pray the you should not pray these Ratiba prayers except for the two rak'ah before Fajr. Why? Because if you're going to shorten the Fard prayer and you're going to make something that is obligatory on you shorter by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it doesn't make any sense for you to, after that, bring voluntary prayers that are attached to that prayer. As for the voluntary prayers that are not attached to that prayer, like tahajjud, you pray them in safar, you pray them when you're traveling, no problem. Like tahajjud and duha, there is no issue with praying them when you're traveling. The issue is the ones that are attached to the prayers. Four raka'ah before dhuhr, two raka'ah after dhuhr, two raka'ah after maghrib, and two raka'ah after isha. As for the two raka'ah before fajr, as we said, the Prophet never left them. Even on the day when he slept in for Fajr with the companions and they only woke up when the sun was hot, the heat of the sun woke them up, what did the Prophet do? He still prayed the two rak'ah of, of Fajr. He still prayed the two rak'ah of Salatul Fajr. And then he prayed the Fard. And he first he prayed the two rak'ah Sunnah and then he prayed the Fard. The correct opinion about these two, and we're going to come to this later, but we need it for now to understand, is that they are sunnah mu'akkadah, they are a highly recommended sunnah. And according to the Hanafis, they are wajibah, you have to pray them. Actually, wajib and sunnah mu'akkadah is not that different. Wajib according to the Hanafis and sunnah mu'akkadah according to the Jumhur is not like a million miles away. And in some of the explanation of the Hanafi fiqh, 
uh, in some of Shuruh Hidayah and some other books explain the Hanafi fiqh, they explain that the meaning of wajib according to the Hanafis is very close to the meaning of Sunnah Mu'akkada according to the majority. It's a very highly recommended Sunnah and according to the Hanafis it's a bit even higher than that. Why? Because they said the Prophet never left it. Even when he slept in, he, he, that time that the Sahaba, they slept through Fajr, he got up and he prayed the two rakah before Fajr. However, the majority said the ahadith that indicate there are only five obligatory prayers, like the companion who came and said, if I don't pray anything else other than these five daily prayers, if I pray nothing but these five, will I enter paradise? The Prophet told him yes. So the majority said yes. It, it, there's no doubt the Prophet ﷺ never left them and they are extremely highly recommended and the one who leaves them is blameworthy and they should be blamed for leaving the two rakah before Fajr and the, the witter prayer and some of the scholars used to say not from the Hanafis from the, from the majority they used to say nobody leaves witter illa rajul su except for an evil person and nobody leaves witter except for an evil person. And nobody leaves witter except for a person who knows the Prophet ﷺ never left it and then says, Oh, I don't pray it very often. So these are very, very important. We think that the correct opinion is that they are not obligatory because the Prophet ﷺ only made the five daily prayers obligatory. However, they are very near to being obligatory. They are very, very near to being obligatory such that a person is blameworthy if they don't pray them. It's like saying, look, you know, okay, they're not obligatory, but if you're not going to pray them, what are you going to pray? You know, if you know the Prophet never left them under any circumstances, and then you leave them, what does that say about the way that you approach the religion? So it's blameworthy, but it's not sinful. But it's not sinful. And yet the person can't be said to be missing the prayers or he doesn't pray or he's not Muslim because he misses the witr or he misses the two rakat before Fajr. No, it's not sinful, but the person is definitely blameworthy because they are of a very, very high level, almost to the level of being obligatory. As for the regular prayers, the, the rawatib, those the Prophet would leave them from time to time. However, he would pray them, these regular prayers, these like before Dhuhr and after Dhuhr, he would pray them all the time when he was resident, or when he was traveling, or if he was very sick, then he would miss those ones. So, now we come to this hadith, which is the hadith of Um Salama. Radiallahu anha that she said, the Messenger of Allah Wasallam prayed Asr. Then he entered my home and he prayed two rakah. So he entered the home of Umm Salama radiallahu anha and he prayed two rakah. She said, so I asked him, and he, what, are you, what are you praying? Because this is a time waqtul nahi. You're not allowed to pray prayers at this time. So what prayer are you praying at this time? Faqal, he said, I became busy or too busy to pray the two rakah after Dhuhr. The two rakah after Dhuhr. So I am praying them now. I.e. the ratiba, the, the two regular prayers you pray after Dhuhr, I am praying them now. 
Then Umm Salam asked, should we make them up? Should we make them up if we miss them? And the Prophet said no. The Prophet said no. And this is narrated by uh, Ali Imam Ahmad. And Abu Dawood has a similar hadith from Aisha. It said the Prophet became busy with Wafd Abdul Qais, the, uh, the party or the, uh, the uh, what's the word, the, the, the group of people who came to see the Prophet, the delegation, that's the word I was looking for, the delegation of Abdul Qais. And their story is long and we don't really have time for it, but Abdul Qais were, were a tribe who had became Muslim but there was a very aggressive non-Muslim uh, tribe between them and between the Prophet that used to prevent them from going to the Prophet and they became extremely there was a, a war going on and they said we can only come to see you in Al-Ashwar Al-Huram in the forbidden months the sacred months where there is no fighting otherwise the, the, there is a tribe from Mudar and this tribe from Mudar, the war is so severe between us, we can't reach you except in the, the months when there is no fighting, like Ramadan, etc. And only in, in Ramadan, in Dhul uh, Hijjah, etc. We can, these are the only time in Muharram, these are the only times that we can come to see you. We can't come to see you at any other time. Then they said to the Prophet So teach us something by which we can take it to those people we left behind and we can enter into Jannah and teach us something that we can we can take it to the people who have, have been left behind and we can enter into Jannah and the reason I'm mentioning this is more than one of the scholars from the Imam Ahmad mentioned that this is the perfect intention this is an example of the perfect niyyah and that you should remove ignorance from yourself and others that should be your niyyah when you study I'm studying Bulugh al-Maram why am I studying Bulugh al-Maram for the same thing that the waft of Abdul Qais said the Prophet teach me something I can go and teach my family that I've left behind and I can enter into Jannah don't teach me something so I can teach my family and I don't act upon it and don't teach me something so I can act upon it and not share it with anybody else. But teach me something that I myself can enter into Jannah with it. And I can teach my family who I have left behind. And so it's worth mentioning when we talk about Wafd Abdul Qais. This, uh, this is a very, very important hadith about the correct intention of seeking knowledge. And that there's nothing wrong with learning for the purpose of teaching. And it's not wrong to say, I want to learn so that I can correct other people. But you have to want to correct yourself and others. And that's why Imam Ahmed was asked about intention. What is the right intention? What is correct intention? And he said, That you remove ignorance from yourself and other people. In any case, it is said that the the waft, the delegation that the Prophet ﷺ became busy with was the delegation of Abdul Qais and in some of the narrations it's mentioned that it was money that came to him and some money came to him from the 
from the outside from, uh, for the benefit of the Muslims and he was busy giving it you know, to the poor and distributing it and, and he, he could not pray the two rak'ah after Zuhr so he prayed them uh, after Salatul Asr in this uh, the scholars differ and I'll, I'll actually come to the fatwa because it's worth it's worth uh, you know going over because it's quite it's quite a complex issue this issue of whether or not we make up the rawatib or not and whether or not we make them up in whether or not we make them up and whether or not we make them up after asr there are two issues the first is whether we make up do we make up the rawatib or not and the second issue is do we make them up after salatul asr or not first of all we have the hadith of um salama that the prophet prayed two rakah after asr and she asked him about them and uh, the prophet said a group from abdul qais came to me so i became busy from the two rakah that are after al-dhuhr so they are these two and in al-bukhari and muslim it doesn't mention the uh, at least in this wording it doesn't mention don't 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 do it yourself and ibn majah narrated from qais ibn amr that the prophet saw a man praying after fajr two rakah so the prophet said are you praying Fajr twice? So the man said, I did not pray the two rak'ah before Fajr. So I'm praying them. So the Prophet ﷺ was silent about it. And this is in Ibn Majah. And Shaykh al-Albani declared it to be Sahih. And in a Tirmidhi from Aisha, that the Prophet ﷺ, if he did not pray four rak'ah before Dhuhr, he would pray four rak'ah after Dhuhr. And Nawawi, he said, the correct opinion according to us is that it is recommended for a person to make up the Ratiba prayers. And this was, uh, he mentions the scholars who held this opinion, Al Muzani Al Ahmed, in a narration from him, and Abu Hanifa and Malik and Abu Yusuf, in the most famous of the narrations from them, said, it is not to be made up. And now we said our evidence are, is these ahadith that we have mentioned. And Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah said, if a person misses the ratiba prayer, for example the sunnah of Dhuhr, so should he make them up after Asr? There are two opinions regarding this, both narrated from Imam Ahmed. One is that he does not make them up, and this is the madhab of Abu Hanifa and Malik, and the second is that he makes them up and this is the opinion of a Shafi'i and it is the stronger opinion and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Uh, the scholars differed over this matter and they differed over it because of this addition in the uh, because of this addition in the hadith. Should we pray it if we miss it? The Prophet said, no. So this being the case, it would appear from this that it is not recommended or it's not allowed for a person to make up the uh, ratiba prayers if they miss them or it's not allowed for them to make them up after asr however 
the other ahadith in this regard and the wording of Bukhari and Muslim don't mention uh, that edition and so the scholars differed as we said with Abu Hanifa and Malik uh, taking the opinion that you don't make them up and Ash-Shafi'i taking the opinion that you do make them up and Ahmed has both a narration that you make them up and a narration that you don't make them up and the selection of Shaykh al-Islam bin Taymiyyah is that you make them up the problem with it is that the ones who say you don't make them up make an exception for the two rak'ah before Fajr in other words they say you don't make them up except for the two rak'ah before Fajr those you make up but all of the rest of the Ratiba prayers you don't make up uh, and this is the opinion of Shaykh Al-Fawzan and the opinion that he chose in his explanation of Bulug Al-Maram is that you don't make them up except for the two rak'at before Fajr and he said that the evidence used by a Shafi'i is all of it or is most of it either it is a summary of this hadith in which the additional wording says don't do it or it refers to Salatul Fajr which in itself is a separate instance and Allah knows best many of the scholars said you make them up and some said you don't and Allah knows best uh, there is a co- or there are a couple of more issues that I wanted to deal with before we start the topic of the Adhan uh, we said that there are two opinions regarding Salatul Fajr and praying before Salatul Fajr one is that it is forbidden to pray anything before Salatul Fajr except for the two rak'ah of Fajr and one is that you can pray anything you like before the Fajr Salah but after the Salatul Fajr then you're not allowed to pray anything except the two rak'ah before Fajr this is one uh, yeah, these are the two opinions uh, it seems to me Wallahu alam, that the correct opinion is that you stop praying from the Fajr Adhan and the Fajr Adhan means that all of the other prayers are not allowed except for the two rak'ah before Fajr and after the Fajr Adhan you can't pray Tahajjud, you can't pray Witr, you can't pray Istikhara, you can't pray many other prayers however you can only pray these two rak'ah and the evidence for this is first of all there are a number of ahadith which mention the coming of the Fajr time like the hadith La Salata Ba'da Tulu'il Fajr there is no prayer after the time for Fajr comes except for the two rak'ah before Fajr and the second thing uh, or the second uh, reason for that is that the Prophet ﷺ is not related as having is not narrated as having prayed anything other than those two and it's never narrated that he extended his tahajjud or he's extended his witr rather whatever he prayed before the Fajr Adhan he prayed at the Fajr Adhan he prayed nothing other than those two rak'ah as for Asr then to the best of my knowledge I couldn't find any opinion other than that it is after the Asr prayer and not after the Asr Adhan Wallahu alam. I searched it and the only thing I could find is after the Asr prayer so it seems to me there is a difference between Fajr and Asr as for Fajr it is from the Fajr Adhan that you're not allowed to pray anything you don't pray anything after the Fajr Adhan except for the Sunnah before Fajr and the Fajr prayer as for Asr then it seems to be after the Asr prayer not after the Asr Adhan so there is an option for prayer before Asr and 
as for after the asr adhan then there is no uh, there is no prayer after the asr salah and not after the asr adhan two more issues one regarding istikhara some people ask and it's a good question is istikhara min dawati asbab is istikhara one of the prayers that is like tahiyat al-masjid you can pray it in the time when it is forbidden to pray because we said the correct opinion is the opinion of imam al-shafi'i which is the opinion that you can pray dawat al-asbab in the time when it's forbidden to pray for example if i walk into the masjid after asr i can pray two rak'ah before i sit according to what we said is the stronger opinion of the two opinions the opinion of imam al-shafi'i and the and it was chosen by Shaykh al-Islam al-Taymiyyah that the one who walks into the masjid after Asr or after Fajr can pray to Rakat Tahiyat al-Masjid because there's a direct reason for it and the evidence being the hadith of the tawaf that do not stop anyone from making tawaf of this house in any hour of the day and night and praying the two rak'ah after the you know praying the two rak'ah after the tawaf and the other reasons we gave. However, the issue comes, is istikhara a prayer like this, or is istikhara a general prayer that can't be prayed at the time of, uh, when it's forbidden to pray? So which one is correct? The stronger opinion in this is that istikhara has two circumstances, and each one is different. One is istikhara where there is a time limit. For example, I have been invited to go on a journey. My friend phoned me after Asr, met me in the masjid. He said to me, Muhammad Tim, we're going to set out in, in 10 minutes and we're going to go on a journey. Do you want to come or not? Now in this time, I don't have, I don't have the time to delay the istikhara. I have to make the istikhara. The sunnah is to make istikhara before a journey. I have to make the istikhara at that time because I don't have the flexibility to delay the istikhara. In this case, you behave with it like dawat al-asbab, the same as tahiyat al-masjid. You can pray it in the time when it is forbidden. However, many issues of istikhara are, the time is muasa'. There is time. There is, for example, a marriage issue. You don't need to pray that. You know, if you saw the girl after asr, you can wait until after Maghrib to pray istikhara. You don't need to pray that istikhara immediately after Maghrib. So you have time. In this case, istikhara is not from dawat al-asbab. So you don't pray it in the time when it is forbidden to pray. So istikhara is a bit of a difficult one because it comes under both rulings. Sometimes it behaves like tahiyat al-masjid and sometimes it behaves like a general prayer. Depending on whether it is time critical and you have to pray it before the time elapses or whether there is time to pray it after that because for some for most cases of istikhara there is time to wait you can wait until after maghrib and you can pray it then and the correct opinion is there is no specific time for istikhara there is no evidence for praying istikhara after fajr and then going to sleep and waiting for a dream or any sort of you know such thing rather istikhara is something you can pray at any time uh, and you're asking Allah to show you what is right and what is wrong. You're not asking Allah so to give you a dream. You're just asking Allah to make it easy for you to do what is right or to make it easy for you to change from doing what is wrong. You're not saying, Oh Allah, show me a dream. You're saying, Oh Allah, 
make it happen. If it's good for me, make it happen. If it's bad for me, make something else happen instead. So this istikhara is sometimes you have to pray it in the time when it's forbidden and sometimes you don't depending on whether it is time, time critical or not. Last issue that I have as I try to finish all the issues that we don't leave anything outstanding before we go on to Babel Adhan is the issue, uh, one uh, error that I made in one of the explanations and I don't know why I made it because I plan to talk to you about this but for some reason it just didn't come out the right way and that is the issue of Al-Khayt Al-Abiyat and Al-Khayt Al-Aswad the what okay the, what I meant to say is the wording is the white thread and the black thread but the action is not that you compare a white thread and a black thread the meaning of the white thread is the white thread of dawn and the meaning of the black thread is the black color of the night it's not that you have a white thread and a black thread and you look at the two and then you see which one is like when you can see the difference between the white thread and the black thread the meaning of white thread is the white thread of the dawn and the black thread of the night it's not that it's not that the meaning is that some of the companions understood the meaning was literal so they literally took a thread and they looked at the thread and the Prophet ﷺ instructed to them that it's not like this it is Al-Khayt Al-Abiyad Min Al-Khayt Al-Aswad Min Al-Fajr And the word Min Al-Fajr indicates that the meaning of the white thread is the white thread of dawn And the meaning of the black thread is the black thread of the night And when I explained it, it was something I meant to explain But I ended up explaining the thread and then not explaining the, the other bit At least that's how it came out when I listened to it again So I wanted to make it, uh, just to make that clear inshallah That there, you're not supposed to take two threads and compare them But what I was explaining was that Fajr, what time does Fajr start? You can start to distinguish between the things in the beginning of Fajr time. You can't tell the person who's praying next to you. By the time the Prophet finished Fajr, you could tell the person who was praying next to you. And that's what I was trying to say. So that finishes us from Babel Mawaqeet. And some of these issues will come up again. Don't worry, the Ratiba prayers, they will come up again. Uh, praying after Asr. And some, they, we'll cover them also in other chapters as well. But now we come on to Bab al-Adhan. Why did the author mention Bab al-Adhan after Bab al-Mawaqid? Because when you told people what the time is to pray, the next thing that the people need to do is to call the Adhan for the prayer. So when you explained to the people what time the prayers are, in Bab al-Mawaqeet, we did all the timings for the prayers. Then by, by default, the next thing that you want to do is to explain about the Adhan. And the Adhan in the Arabic language, and we're probably not going to get much further than the explanation of just what the Adhan is today. The Adhan in the Arabic language, it means a call. It means a call. Uh, and... The ayah, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالَ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Who is better in speech than the one who calls to Allah and does good deeds and says, Indeed, I'm from the Muslims. Uh, many of the scholars of tafsir said this ayah was revealed regarding the adhan. وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ Who is better than the one who calls to Allah. But the word adhan is used for a general call Likewise in the Quran, for example in Surah Al-Hajj, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ 
call out to the people to come to the Hajj. Yani inform the people. Uh, the meaning of the Adhan is to, is to um, publicize something, if that's the right word, Al-Ilam. To give people information or to publicize something by, by, by calling it out in public. And so when Allah commanded Ibrahim, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ Literally it says, make the Adhan for the people to come to Hajj. I publicly announce for the people to come to Hajj. And Allah made that call heard in every part of the world. Uh, and there is another ayah which escapes me, but there is another ayah uh, in the Quran where the Adhan is used for, not the Adhan as in the Adhan that we know, but uh, the Adhan which means to make something public, to announce something in public. The Adhan, the scholars differed over the ruling with regard to the Adhan. Is the Adhan Sunnah? Or is the Adhan Fardu Kifaya? What is Fardu Kifaya first of all? What is the meaning of, you know, is it Mustahab? We shouldn't say Sunnah because it's not very technical. Is it Mustahab or is it Fardu Kifaya? So what is Fardu Kifaya? The best way of thinking about Fardu Kifaya is thinking about, for example, the fire brigade. Okay? Every city has to have a fire brigade. If the city doesn't have the fire brigade, then very likely it won't be too long before most of the buildings burn down. Does everyone have to be a fireman? No. It is enough to have just enough firemen so that the emergencies can be taken care of. This is a, a picture of Fard Kifaya, something which you have to have, it's what's called a collective obligation, you have to have enough people doing it to fulfill the purpose. If not enough people are doing it, then everyone is sinful. But if enough people are doing it, the rest of them don't have to. So is it necessary for every Muslim, for every Muslim in every prayer to call the Adhan? As the scholars said, I don't think this, anyone has this opinion. And this opinion is not held by any of the scholars of Islam. The scholars of Islam generally have two opinions. One is that it is mustahab. It's recommended for a Muslim generally, anyone, whoever it is, to call the Adhan. And the second is that it's fard kifaya, meaning that you have to have enough people give the Adhan for the purpose of the Adhan to be fulfilled. For the people to hear the call to prayer and to know the prayer time. If not enough people are giving the Adhan that no one is giving the Adhan and no one is hearing the call to prayer and nobody knows when the time for prayer is, then everyone is sinful. But if enough people are giving the Adhan, if there's a big masjid with a speaker giving the Adhan, then not everybody in the around that masjid needs to give the adhan from their house rooftop also. Even if it is mustahab for you to give the adhan even when you pray on your own, even if it's mustahab to give the adhan, but it's not obligatory for every single one of us to climb on the top of our roof and open our windows and give the adhan. But it's obligatory for a certain number of people to give it so that the people know that the time has come for the prayer. And this is the correct opinion because the adhan is from the sha'ayr, from the symbols, the, the, the public symbols of Islam. And these are very important. 
The Adhan is one of the Sha'airs, one of those big symbols by which Islam is known. And it has to be established to the best of our ability. Now yes, living in non-Muslim countries where it's not allowed to give the Adhan, then a person can only do as much as they can do. Maybe they can stand on the roof and they can give the Adhan or they can open the window, they can give the Adhan, but they're not allowed to use the loudspeaker because it's, it's forbidden in that country. And that is something they can only do what they can do. Fattakullaha nastata'atun. Fear Allah as much as you can. But in general, if you're able to give the Adhan, then there has to be enough masajid or enough mu'adhin uh, people giving the Adhan for the Adhan to be heard by people in that locality. Uh, otherwise, the sin becomes upon everyone until somebody takes on that responsibility to give the adhan in that in that locality, so that the people know that the time has come for the prayer. And the establishing of the adhan or the proof for the adhan is established in the Quran and the Sunnah in Ijma. So, as for the Quran, there are numerous uh, places, at least two, perhaps three places in the Quran where the adhan is mentioned famously. In for example, Surah Al-Jumu'ah Ya ayuha al-ladhina amanu Iza nudiya lis-salati min yawm al-jumu'ati Fas'au ila dhikrillahi wa dharul bay'a Or you who believe If the prayer is called out Nudiya, yani there's a nida There's a call out to the prayer Yawm al-jumu'ah Then rush to the remembrance of Allah And abandon your trade So the adhan is mentioned in the In the Quran and likewise in the sunnah which we're going to come to here and likewise by consensus of the scholars the scholars have consensus that the adhan is something which is mashru'ah now generally we just want to talk about one more thing uh, because we're not going to go into the hadith today but just one more thing about the adhan before we finish and that is that there are and we're going to come to this in the hadith but just to give you an overview there are either two different ways or three different ways of doing the adhan. Uh, there is the adhan of Bilal, which is the adhan of Medina. There is the adhan of Abi Mahbura, which is the adhan of Makkah. And some of them split the adhan of Bilal into uh, or the Adhan of Abi Mahdura, sorry, into two. They split the Adhan of Abi Mahdura into two. That there are two different ways of doing the Adhan of Abi Mahdura. Because in Sahih Muslim, there is a, a difference with the, the, other, the other five who narrated the Hadith. Uh, and so some of the scholars disregarded the Hadith of Sahih Muslim and made it two Adhan, one of Bilal and one of Abi Mahdura radiallahu anhumah. And some of the scholars made it three. And Abi Mahdura according to Sahih Muslim and Abi Mahdura according to the five and Bilal. So some of the scholars made it two and some of the scholars made it three. I, some of them who made it two, they disregarded the hadith of Sahih Muslim and said that it is shad. It is, it goes against what is narrated by the majority. And some of them said, no, there are three different ways of doing the adhan. We're going to come to those inshallah. Uh, also the iqama differs between the iqama of Bilal and the iqama of Abi Mahdura. We're going to come to all of those inshallah. But just so we're aware that there are broadly two different adhans. 
one associated with Medina, which is the Adhan of Bilal, and one associated with Mecca, which is the Adhan of Abi Mahrura. The Adhan of Abi Mahrura might be able to be divided further into two different options, one which has four takbirat and one which has two. So one which has Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and one which has Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And one of them has four and one of them has two. Those we're going to come to inshallah and we're going to come to which one is preferred and we're going to come to whether they're both valid or not and the different types of iqamah inshallah those we will, we will cover inshallah. The last thing that it's worth mentioning uh, briefly is we understand the history of the, how the adhan came into place and it's mentioned in our first hadith but just generally just so we have an overview of the adhan that we know that the Prophet ﷺ consulted his companions what does that mean? It means there was no revelation at that time when he consulted them because he would not consult them in a matter that Allah had revealed to him. He consulted them about how to call the people to the prayer. So the first suggestion was the suggestion of the bell, you know, ringing the bell. And likewise, the, uh, the, so the way the Jews call the people to prayer, the way the Christians, the Christians call the people to prayer with the bell, and the way that the Jews called the people to prayer, both of them were suggested, and the Prophet ﷺ said no to both of them. And he said, Zaka lin nasara. This is for the this is for the Christians. I he he was given revelation that this is not allowed. And he was given revelation that the that the way that the Jews use is not allowed. Then it was left, okay, what should we do? And the companions went away. No revelation was given specifically as to what to do. And then in this first hadith, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Abdi Rabbih radiallahu an, is the story of how the Adhan came through the dream. So Abdullah ibn Zayd, he saw a dream, and in the dream, we're going to you know, cover the dream in the hadith, that effectively he was given the, the Adhan. When he was given the Adhan, and we'll hear the dream when we come to the hadith next time, he came to the Prophet ﷺ in the morning and he told the Prophet ﷺ, I saw a dream and in this dream I was told this is the Adhan. And the Prophet ﷺ said, teach it to Bilal because he has a, a louder voice or a clear, sort of a, a loud and clear voice. So go and teach it to Bilal. So he taught it to Bilal and Bilal gave the Adhan. Umar heard the Adhan and he himself came rushing to the Prophet ﷺ and said, I also saw it in a dream. And so Umar's dream and the dream of Abdullah ibn Zayd came together. Both of them saw the, both of them saw the Adhan in the dream and the Prophet ﷺ approved of it. The revelation came to approve of it and the Adhan was established by revelation after that. Uh, so that is the story of the basic story of the Adhan and the details of it we're going to get into inshallah from the next time that we start. But bearing in mind that it's about half past eight, I think it's a good place for us to stop, inshallah. Uh, and uh, we can, inshallah ta'ala, begin next time with the different ahadith, looking at those different adhan. But if we bear in mind of those two major categories, the adhan of Bilal and the adhan of Abi Mahrura. Abi Mahrura uh, became Muslim in the conquest of, of Makkah. And actually, his story regarding the Adhan is quite interesting. In two minutes, maybe we can mention it. That he, radiallahu anhu, was not a Muslim in the beginning. And he was not a Muslim in the, in the first days of the, you know, the first uh, passage of time of the conquest. 
And what they were actually doing is they were actually copying the Adhan. You know, they, they, they were not Muslim and they were just, you know, playing. They were copying the sound of the Adhan. And Abi Mahdura had a beautiful voice. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he heard Abi Mahdura copying the Adhan, and he was not Muslim at that time, he called him and he made dua from him, for him. He wiped over his head and his chest and he made dua for him. And he became Muslim. And then the Prophet ﷺ taught him the, taught him the Adhan. So you have the Adhan in Medina and the Adhan in, in Makkah. And the Adhan in Makkah, as we said, has a division. So inshallah we will come to this all next week bi idnillah ta'ala. So I think we will stop there and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Wa salatu salam ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.